Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. It's a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon, and I'm excited about this new book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. This journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, you should go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up a copy today. Now, if you're looking for other ways to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com and podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. I also wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. So I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about how to build a strong hybrid team culture. Remote work and hybrid teams are something that every leader is dealing with these days. So how do we build a strong team culture in this new work environment? Well, my guest today has the answer. Gustavo Rossetti is the CEO and founder of Fearless Culture and the author of a new book called Remote Not Distant. He's going to help us navigate this new way to work. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gustavo Rossetti. Gustavo is the CEO and founder of Fearless Culture, a culture design consultancy that helps teams do the best work of their lives. And for more than 20 years, he's helped leaders from Fortune 500s, startups, nonprofits, and everything in between, including every continent on Earth except Antarctica. His latest book, uh, Remote Not Distance, uh, sorry, Remote Not Distant helps leaders build a strong hybrid team culture. And I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about the idea of designing a company culture, especially in a hybrid workplace, something we've been seeing more and more of. So, Gustavo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. Very excited about the conversation. I'm looking forward to have some engaging chat so we can hopefully inspire your audience. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this to this as well. Uh, first of all, I want to just give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about it yourself. Uh, and then where did you develop such a passion for company cultures? That's a great point. I think that uh, my career, uh, like many people, has basically gone in different directions. So uh, I can picture a very logic uh, uh, storytelling. I can tell you about the different experiments I went through. But most importantly, 
I was a regular employee, so to speak. At some point, I was promoting to become a leader. I, I became CEO of different companies, and then I turned into a consultant. And for me, what's important is what drove me to culture is first, when I was a, for lack of a better term, regular employee, in making my my my, my rounds up the the, the ladder, uh, uh, there were leaders that really inspired me. There were places that really helped me uh, do my best work, and there were places that I really really suffered. Mm. When I became a leader, I screw up exponentially. So basically, I amplify the same mistakes as some leaders did. And at some point, I think I learned. So now, as a consultant, I want to bring the best of both worlds. You know those things that I. Uh, Basically, what helped me thrive as an employee, but also make sure that the mistakes I made when I was leading, my clients don't repeat the same. Mm. At least they made some new ones. <laughs> I think that's fantastic because I think you know it, it, experience is often the best teacher. But for those, so but we often learn from our mistakes. So it's it's nice to hear that you're you're trying to help your uh, clients not have the same uh, struggles and the same mistakes that you found in your career. So I love that. And the idea of, you know, having both good bosses and bad bosses, having good bo- both good cultures and bad cultures made you say, I want to, we need to focus in on this. And, and culture is really critical to business. So I really appreciate that. That's great. And in fact, that's what I want to talk about. Workplace culture, you know, we we, we talk about it and, and we know that it's critical for business success. Uh, and we've talked about it on this podcast, but um, help us understand what that really is. Because, I mean, culture seems, you know, we can understand certain things in business, but culture is a little bit nebulous. Help us understand, give us like a something that helps us understand what culture really is. Absolutely. I think that, it is nebulous, but it's not so nebulous. So I think it's like culture is like air, right? Mm. If it's healthy, if it's fresh, usually you don't notice it. You just breathe and you keep alive. But however, I mean, I'm looking at your books there. No, we have I have to watch when you're in a submarine in a very a high performing, very challenging environment, and you're very close to your colleagues. If that air is toxic, you're really, really gonna notice. You want to surface to make sure you can and regain. So that's the point of our culture. When things are working all right, it feels natural. It feels organic. Mm-hmm. People are doing great work. They're collaborating, and people tend to be happy, or at least they're enjoying what they're doing. When it's broken, all the wars happen, especially mm-hmm. from behavior. So, a, a selfish behaviors, competitive behavior, aggressive behaviors start to surface. In, I developed a tool a couple of years ago, many years ago now, and that we use with different clients to uh, understand what culture is all about, which is a canvas. Uh, 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 Basically, it's a way to map the different elements of culture. And we talk about what does culture encompass? So it includes the purpose. So why are we here? What's our role within the team? What's the impact that we're trying to create? It includes values, but also behaviors, which... I think that this is going to resonate with you. What behaviors do we want to uh, uh, reward? But most important, what is, are we going to punish? Sometimes companies fail to basically uh, create a healthy culture because they promote a purpose, they promote certain values, but then what they reward through action or inaction is the opposite. So mm-hmm. if you say that you are collaborative or you are creative or innovative, but then when people want to bring up a new idea, challenge the status quo, you silence them or you punish them, then you're not necessarily innovative. Mm. If you promote the most selfish manager, then you're not collaborative. 
So mm. that's that kind of thing is important. And then there are other elements of culture that are more what we call the emotional side of culture, psychological safety. Do people feel safe to speak mm. up, to participate, to engage? Feedback, how we help each other learn and grow, and rituals, which are ways of celebrating who we are. Lastly, the last component of culture is more functional. It includes meetings, decision-making, and norms and rules. So when you can capture all those elements, culture not only becomes more visible, but more concrete. It's not such an abstract uh, construct. That makes a lot of sense. And I really like what you said in that you can say your, you know, your purpose, values, behaviors are here, but it's really your actions that determine what the culture is. So if you're inconsistent with you, what your stated values are, then that's the culture. They, what actually is happening is actually what the culture is, not what you say you want it to be, which is very interesting. And it's a lot, a lot of same things with leadership. If we if we say one thing and do another thing, I, we're inconsistent, and uh, and and it hurts us as leaders and our ability to influence others. People don't trust us when we're inconsistent. So, uh, when you when you have good company culture, when things are uh, when you are your stated purpose, values, and behaviors, and you're consistent with those in the in 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 the way you operate. What are some advantages? Companies that have good company cultures, what are some of those advantages uh, that they have in the marketplace? I think, I mean, from a fact perspective, there's a lot of research from the different consulting firms that show that those companies are more open to change. They are quicker to adapt. They are more innovative and they do and deliver better business results. And of course, overall, uh, people like to stay there and people are happier. Um, I think that another thing that's important when it comes to operating, things tend to be more fluid. No, so can, there's no such thing as a perfect company. To <laughs> let's make sure that that's a, a clear point. But however. People are not fighting against each other. People know what they need to do, and you don't need to have the manager on top of people. Things happen because people are committed, they have clear marching orders, and actually they want the company to succeed. When the culture is broken, not only people get lost and there's a lot of infighting, mm. but actually sometimes people you say, I don't care. And mm. when people stop caring, then everything goes south like this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, infighting and apathy. And I, I could tell tell stories in my years in corporate. I've I've been in cultures where it was constant infighting and and that was like the that was the what you did. That's how you survived. And uh and then the people underneath it was just apathetic. It was just complete apathy. So yeah, I've been in broken cultures and I can definitely feel I, I can tell you this that <clears throat> not much got done <laughs> because it yeah. was just because it was just conflict and 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 everyone was protecting their own turf and nothing really ever progressed and it was not a company which was open to innovation and change we were just uh in, in battle for our own little fiefdoms and it was uh yeah it was not a good place to work i did not like working there absolutely and i think it, no one does and we all unfortunately experience <laughs> one or two of those type of organizations it, there are two signals. You mentioned how can we make sure that we culture becomes more evident. One signal, if you go to some a culture that's kind of toxic or fearful, the first point is when you meet the receptionist. Oh, no? rather than being like welcoming, whatever you're going to see, there's a lot of anxiety. 
Uh, if you're going to meet with one of the higher ups, the CEO, there's going to be a lot of uh, different uh, steps and barriers and controls that you need to go through. And people are going to be very anxious to make sure they don't screw up. That's one typical. No, the, the first, if people are relaxed, they're welcoming, they're having fun, then you can get that, that signal. Mm-hmm. Another signal is the meetings, how they manage their meetings. So cultures that are driven by fear, the meetings are designed, consciously or not, around the leader. It's mm-hmm. about pleasing the leader. It's very political. No one wants to screw up. The leader is going to make all the decisions. They're going to be the first to speak up. So those things are important to, to understand where your culture is. Is it a collaborative, open culture, healthy, or is more driven by fear or, to your point, toxicity when it goes to the extreme? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen cultures like that. And I and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I run a small business right now, a small manufacturing business. And you come into my place, it's like coming in, it, it's wide open because we're just all we're we're it's very tight. We're like a family. And so, you know, there's going to be jokes. There's going to be like like yesterday, we had a couple of dogs in the plant. Uh, you know, it's, it's very <laughs> laid back. And uh uh, we get our job done, but we also we act like a family, and it 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 shows, you know. And so when when visitors come, they're like, "This place is neat," you know. I remember we we had a customer come in, uh, and it just happened to be around that we were having our Thanksgiving or annual Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinner, and we just invited him since he was in the plant. So join us, you know, sit down, we'll let you join us for Thanksgiving dinner. And he said, you know, I've been working my whole adult life, and I've never seen anything like this. You know, we're this just a relaxed family kind of environment. And I think we've we've worked hard to build that culture and we've worked hard to 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 build a place where people like to come to work. And uh and you can tell, and and, and our customers can tell and our visitors can tell, which is neat because like you said, you sense it, right? When you walk in the front door, is this a place that's uptight or is this a place that, you know, where it's open and collaborative? I think you can really sense that. Definitely. I mean, you can sense the air. I think that's a great point. You mentioned that we, you know, you said we put a lot of effort. And that's something that some people sometimes forget. They think that culture is going to emerge organically. Of course, there are many elements, like culture happens at a team level, culture happens at a family level or a friendship level. You know? Every group has a culture that brings those people together, or actually brings them apart. The if you talk about family, if you're controlling as a parent, then your children are going to do whatever they want and actually the opposite that you try to dictate. If you create an environment of participation that's healthy, that's transparent, then that's the, the feedback that you're going to get. So I think that it's critical what you were mentioning. It's not just about size, but it's about design. So there are large companies that are healthy and there are companies that have maybe three, five employees and they're really toxic. Mm, okay. Yeah, you're right. So it's not just size. That makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that struck me with your writings and what you do is this idea of designing a culture. That seems, you know, it's like a designer suit. You know, I, I was trying to help us understand what does it mean when you say I'm going to design the culture? Perfect question. I like that you mentioned designing a suit because I'm going to start from that metaphor and then <laughs> like a zoom out. If, when you're designing something, you're designing it for the person that's going to wear. Mm. So when I help my clients, I don't design the culture I want them to have, but it's the culture that they want to have, the culture that's going to help them, help them succeed. But also in the end, when they're the ones wearing that suit, 
is it going to look them on you on them or not? And that's that's very important to to keep in mind. We're not doing the work for our egos. We're doing the work that's going to help that particular company. So each engagement, each work with different companies is unique, and it's a challenge of its own. Design. Sometimes when I when I started the the discipline of culture design a few years ago, building on my experience in marketing and innovation, that we apply the human centered design. Many people felt, oh, you cannot design culture. So my response is, yes, you can, but also people associate design with control. Mm. And they say, no, culture happens organic. Well, design doesn't mean that we come out of the blue with, hey, this is how your culture is going to look like. We leverage both organic things. We leverage things that are already in place happening in that culture. And we help that organization grow what's already working, but also take care of what's not working. It's like taking care of a garden, no? Of course, the plants and the trees are gonna grow in the direction they want, but you need to make sure that you design what type of, do you want a Zen Japanese style garden or more of a English kind of, a, with more bricks and control and roses and bushes. So you want more of a French a Renaissance, a symmetric type of garden. You need to have some criteria of what you're looking for and then make sure that you prepare the soil and the right, if, fertilizers and the right seeds and the right species, but then those species and that ecosystem is going to thrive and grow on its own. So as a leader, designing culture means, okay, I'm going to set the environment, but then you need to step back and let people do their thing, grow. Mm. So it's 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 interesting that you said that because uh, we, when you think of, a lot of times uh, leaders think they have to control everything. And what you're saying is that we, design the way we want it to look like but we allow people to to grow into that and to fit into the design if you will and and I like that a lot because um we it's it's not about control it is in a way in other words you 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 have an idea of what you want but you're the people are going to take to it different ways and you just have to you have to deal with the the, the people in that culture and how they're responding and how they're uh, like, like, give, I'll give you an example. If, if we say, you know, we're going to have an open and honest dialogues in this, in this, in this company, right? And yet you have someone that's like lying or is is, is deceitful or not and violating. So that's when um, the leader needs to step in and you know, with that individual and say, you know, it's not consistent with what we're trying to do here. So, so, and and I would imagine that the leader's actions are important uh, to to reinforce the behaviors that you're trying to get. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, you need to remove the weeds, no? That's so don't get in the <laughs> yes. way and don't hurt the people. Uh, and toxic, uh, are there animals that are eating the fruit that the trim are contributing to the garden? So definitely. However, you mentioned, for example, transparency. And I think it's important because not everyone is equal. So there are some people that are more extroverted. They like to talk more. Mm. There are people that are more uh, shy and both can be great contributors. And actually people that talk uh, the less actually are better for the team than those who are always talking, no? Um, but our society rewards the first. What happens is that when, for example, you say we want to be transparent, that means not necessarily hiding, not being toxic. Some people might be more outspoken and other people might not, but that doesn't mean they're not being transparent. Yes, so I, I think it's important yeah. that we calibrate those ideas to fit the different team members rather than push the culture just for a particular group. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com, or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. So I want to talk about your new book because I think it's pretty exciting. We It's called Remote and Not Distance. And by the way, sorry, Remote, Not Distant. I keep saying distance. Remote, Not Distant. Which you is rename like, it. So now, now I know the title <laughs> of my new one. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's a great, such a great name because we're, we're dealing with, you know, remote and hybrid workplaces now. Uh, and we don't want to be distant. That's really important. So I really love the name of the book. And in this, you're talking, you're, you're, you're tackling the idea of designing a culture in this hybrid remote world. So why, I mean, obviously we've times have changed and we have this, we have a, we have a new work workplace kind of emerging, but why did you feel it was important to tackle the subject at this time? That's great. I think that uh, since the pandemic started and even before that, we were doing a lot of work remotely with different companies. And then when everything collapsed, the world was disrupted. Companies were like afraid. Now, what do we do now? And we helped many of our clients adapt to working from home. But that was more like a band-aid. The mm-hmm. problem is now that was, in, I mean, companies didn't have an option, right? The pandemic forced everyone to work from home. And actually, most of the companies that were reluctant to do that, even for one day, they had to do it a full full flesh. The point is, then, when now we have an option and people can say, well, what are we going to do next? Many companies are defaulting to, hey, let's go back to how things used to be. Mm. Office-centric, a nine-to-five-ish. I say five-ish because it's nine-to-seven-eight. And the point is, it's like a, this is a lesson in disguise. I mean, everything that happens in life happens for a reason. And rather than learning and improving our workplace, are we just going to go back to things like they used to be? So my point is I started working with different teams, helping them understand what used to work before the pandemic, what didn't work before the pandemic, 
what are the new behaviors, the new practices, the new things that came and were discovered? I mean, people realize, hey, I love my job, but I don't want to design my life around my job. I like to wake up in the morning, take care of my kids, take them to school, and they maybe start working a little bit later and maybe working. With the, I like this new flexibility where I can choose, hey, if I need to go to the office, I go to the office. But if I can save that commute time and do my work from home and take a break and do some chores and then get back to work, I like that stuff as well. The point is, there are many beliefs that leaders have eh, 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 that are resisting this new work environment. Mm. First is a lack of trust. Before the pandemic, leaders believed that if they weren't, if people weren't visible, they weren't working. So they create this culture of endless meetings, endless emails, because people need to show that they're busy to be perceived as efficient. So rather than encouraging people to be great at what they do, they encourage a culture of presentism. Mm. Then we create a culture of virtual presentism. We know that people are working at least one hour more per day just to show off, to show off to their colleagues and their bosses to see, hey, I'm here. Not because they're doing work, but basically they are creating Zoom calls, they are sending emails just to say, hey, I'm alive and a hard worker. Which is so those are really bad practices, and and the purpose of the book is to help companies rethink and how to bring together the best of both worlds, the mm-hmm. in person and the remote. Remote give us flexibility. Remote give us time to work at our own pace. Give us the the distance for us to have perspective in making decisions. Be more rational about it. And the in person is about. Which tasks require that well together, like building belonging, creating connection between team members, but also challenges that require that we're all in the same place and we can tackle them together. So mm. that's kind of the approach and, and 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 why I wrote that book. I think it's I think it's really important that it's really timely. As you went through the book and you did some research, uh, what are what are some companies or leaders or or teams that are doing a really good job with this you know this hybrid culture? Do you have do you have any stories and 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 what what has uh, what's made those those situations work as well as they have? Absolutely, and and one thing that's interesting, I interviewed different types of companies from large, from smaller, from more tech-driven companies. Some people only focus on tech-driven companies, which for them is easier to shift to a more flexible environment because of the work they do. But for example, one thing that's interesting, I also talked to Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae is a government-funded oh, yeah. for the audience, no, that provides it's behind most of the mortgages in the US. And, and it's interesting how in a government-based uh, company, they embrace a, a hybrid and they allow team members, which is one critical uh, thing to happen. They allow team members to create their own experiences, to design their own stuff. And one thing that I uncovered in Fannie Mae in particular is rituals. So in order to stay connected, team members have a time of the day in which each of them go and, 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 and go for a walk with their pets. They're all in different states, different cities, but they're all with their phones talking about life and connecting. So it's a way that that team that used to be very uh, engaged personally still have time to uh, network, to connect with each other, to talk about life, to talk about their schools, uh, their children's schools, to talk about their pets, and then they go back to work. So it's very uh, powerful. I mean, like the things that they do. They also uh, connect when one team member is going through some family issues, whatever, they 
all the getting into one call, the person shares what's going through, they look for advice, and the team member becomes a support kind of an entity for that a colleague. So I can tell you, you might not see your colleagues, you might not be working, but you can be really, really connected, really close to them, or as it happened, I mean, I always use the example, there are many couples that live under the same roof, sleep on the same bed, but they don't have any love, any passion. Well, that a team is working in the same physical space doesn't guarantee that connectedness. Yeah. So you have to work towards that. I love it. I love the story of the the walking your dogs and having a private uh, or have a discussion, a, a, a personal discussion, more more personal, not business, and uh, and having that connection. I know, um, you know, I've even seen companies doing like these these virtual happy hours on a Friday afternoon where people pop on Zoom and it's just mm-hmm. it's very relaxed and it's you know everybody's got a cocktail and they're just you know talking about life and not about necessarily about business. So. Uh, you you can connect. One of the things I noticed too, when we went to more of a hybrid and more of a you know remote um, work environment, I noticed something interesting is we got a chance to look into people's homes, and and this was interesting because um, you know typically we only see each other in the office, right? And so when you're then when you go into remote and you're actually in somebody's uh, room and their their dog comes in or their child comes in or their spouse comes in and you're like I've never seen that person before like I didn't know who their spouse was and and so I think we actually open our open ourselves up to knowing our colleagues better because we're peering into their world a little bit is that am I is that something you've seen as well or I mean, that's certainly something I noticed. Absolutely. I think that's a brilliant observation because in the end, we were filtering. I always thought that we want to aim for a life work-life balance, which is a paradox, you know? And now we realize, stop building a wall between who we are at home and who we are at work, and let's yeah. integrate. I've never met so many babies, children, pets in my life, <laughs> like in the past two or three years because of the work I do. We do lots of uh, workshops online, mostly with different teams from all over the world. And at some point, people felt like, oh, sorry, my baby's interrupting. Sorry, that's my cat. And now it has become like, hey, this is my cat. And people stop hiding, stop feeling embarrassed about it. They actually embrace it. And I think that brings a very human component to teams. Yes. It brings exclusive for conversation, but also you feel that, oh, now I get to know you. I get to know, look, I look at your books, I look at your background, the ship, and I'm trying to figure out what are those things there on the wall I cannot read. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an award or recognition or what is it? And and it sparks conversation. In the past, you were just in your office and we were censoring a very important aspect. So once again, when people feel, oh, it feels so distant, I feel, well, I think that we, to your point, we're getting a window to everyone's homes. That's interesting. And on the other hand, leaders used to have their corner office, and and now they are also one of these small rectangles in a Zoom call. So it has leveled the playing field for everyone. (laughs) You're the equal size square now. So suddenly the leader (laughs) isn't at the end of the conference table. And and absolutely, I I think that's been good too. I noticed that too. I've did a lot of remote training during the time and and uh, it's been uh, personally, um, I actually like it because the chat function can, uh, you know, you're so you're having a training and there's 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 questions on the chat. And if you've got a moderator that can ask the questions, you get 
what I like about it is the introverts you get you get to hear from them where you typically didn't in a, in a normal meeting because they were too afraid to speak up or they were, you know, they were uh, the extroverts were you know dominating the time. So now in these kind of meetings, the extroverts might be talking, but the introverts have now the chat where they can put something in there, which ends up getting to the floor where they where they get the opportunity to get recognized where they wouldn't before. So I, I like. I actually do like when I'm training remote because of the chat function and there's some some neat features. There's some neat things you can do with that 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 makes it makes the experience even better, I think. So I think there's some some ways that we can use the technology to actually deepen our connection. Uh, and that, at least that's what I noticed. Absolutely. I think that a, many a leaders became more aware about, okay, we can use the chat. Uh, when we are brainstorming, rather than jumping to ideas, let's give everyone like five minutes to reflect, write their ideas, so introverts can think. They can write. They can. They don't need to be to feel the pressure or the rush. And then, so a lot of things that improve. But once again, I think that remote has allowed us to do things better in many aspects. But when we talk about hybrid, we're not saying, hey, forget about the office, forget about the in-person experience. It's about, it's about both, but being more mindful about when you need to get together. Mm. And if you get together, it's not the routine, it's not the interruption when you're in your work or cubicle and someone comes and start talking about life and you're working. It's about let's get together to build a strong team. Let's spend time designing mm. the experience, spending time to make sure that we uh, interact better. Or let's get in a room to tackle a challenge that's so hard that if we don't get all in the same place, we're not going to be able to solve it. I like that. I like that a lot. And I've heard stories where people are used, are having things like a home day where it's scheduled on the calendar where everybody comes in that day and, and it's a chance to, and they bring in food. And so like, you know, so there's this connect, there's a connection day built into the calendar and everybody can kind of plan for it, that that's the day, you know, most people are going to be coming in. And I, and I like that as well. So yeah, I think you're right. Don't forget about the human connection as well. Uh, when you're designing this, this, this culture, um, so what's what's the role of the leader here? This is a leadership podcast. What's the what's the role of the leader when it comes to designing, building, and maintaining uh, a culture? That's very important. I think that uh, the culture design process is a co-creation, so it's not necessarily democratic in the sense that everyone has a saying. It's participatory in the sense that you gather we gather input from different employees to design what the company values are going to be. But in the end, the one who defines what the desired culture is, is the leader. Mm. So defining comes is key responsibility of the leader. Then the demonstrating, which is the hardest part, you talk about aligning values with behavior. Well, we need to start with the leaders. Leaders need to say, hey, when you have the watch, this is what is expected. No? So if you don't model the behavior, if you want to be transparent, well, the first to be transparent needs to be the leader. And the third aspect of leaders related to culture is demanding. So I'm going to behave like this as a leader, but these are my clear expectations to my team members. Mm -hmm. So what's okay, what's not okay, uh, showing on time, uh, being transparent, being a, 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 a not backstabbing your colleagues, and those kind of things. No, so summarizing, the leader defines the culture, needs to codify it, needs to share with the people so everyone understands what's expected, 
the leader demonstrate their behavior, they role model it, and then they need to set clear expectations, demands for their team members. Mm. A very powerful, very important uh, role that the leader plays in, in in building and maintaining absolutely the culture. That's really powerful. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot, and I, I think we've just scratched the surface on 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 the work that you did uh, with this new book. The new book is called Remote, uh, Not Distant, and I really highly recommend it, especially those uh, companies that are still going into uh, either remote or or using a hybrid uh, culture now. This is our, our our workplace. This is a great way to build, maintain, uh, and create a great culture in your company. So, um, so how can people find out more about your company and this new book? Absolutely. The book is available in many online retailers. I mean, if you shop on Amazon, you're going to find it there, but it's also on Target, Walmart, online or a Barnes and Nobles. So if you search for remote distance, you're going to find it pretty quickly. And if you want to connect with me, the best way is LinkedIn. So luckily there's no other Gustavo Rossetti with double Z, double T. <laughs> so you're going to, and I'm very active there, always publishing stuff. So articles and free tools. If you're looking for more advice, I'm very, I like to share everything that I learned through my practice with people. So that's the best way to get started. And then you can go also to our website, which is fearlessculture.design. And once again, we have a weekly newsletter. It's free with lots of advice for companies, lots of free resources that you can download as well. Okay, fantastic. We'll put links in the show notes for those resources. And Gustavo, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this. This has been really fascinating. And uh, I think... You know, again, uh, leaders, culture is really important, and you play a major role in in designing, building, and maintaining that culture. So, I highly encourage you to to look up uh, Gustavo and his uh, in his uh, on LinkedIn. Connect with him. We'll go to his website, find these resources, and build a better culture in your company. So, Gustavo, thank you again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, John. I'm looking forward to connect with your audience. I really enjoy it. And I love that you are bringing your personal experience as a former employee and as an entrepreneur and leader in terms of what it takes and how difficult it is to build a culture. And you're doing a great job. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monicelli. 
We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.